Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. People get really excited about what's going on with their stock market holdings when things are doing well, and then they freak out suddenly when there's a market reversal. And I wanted to talk about what is normally a very volatile month. September has traditionally been a month that has been unsettling for stock investors. But the reality is there are special things you need to be mindful of with what's going on on Wall Street and has been going on all year. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, a huge percent of publicly traded companies have had a bad year with their stocks, that the gains have been very heavily concentrated in just a small number, generally, of technology-oriented companies. There was an item just a few days ago about Apple, that Apple's value, having reached over $2 trillion in market value, that Apple's market value was greater than the entire 2,000 companies that make up the Russell 2000 index. So think about that. One company having more value than another 2,000 publicly traded companies all added together. And so you have Apple and Amazon and Facebook and uh, what's Google's name now, Alphabet and Tesla. These companies alone accounting for a crazy amount of stock market value. And the value of these companies is extraordinarily high versus their profits. Now, these are companies that have performed very well because of, oh, and I'm sorry, Tesla is not on the list. The, the five are Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Facebook, even though Tesla is much in the news today with a declining share price. But those companies have a huge valuation right now versus their profits because they have performed well over the last many years, but now the values have been bid up to the point that each of them are priced for absolute, complete, total perfection. And life is not perfect. And then you strip away the small number of technology stocks that have had a massive run-up, and you're left with the rest of a stock market that generally is very weak. So first, if your stock holdings are individual and you have put a huge amount of money at risk in a tiny number of technology stocks, know that you've got to be able to handle the downs as well as the ups. These companies are rock-solid companies that may be overvalued right now, but 
you got to think about what your time window is. If your time window is short for owning a stock and you're in a technology stock that's value has really run up, there's danger in you continuing to hold that stock. If you're playing long ball, you're in the long game, then not as much risk. But look what can happen so quickly. Tesla down something like 15% uh, in trading today. And it's because of a couple of things involving Tesla specifically. But technology stocks, again, that have run way up in value are much riskier in the short term. And you have to plan for that and be prepared for that. But, you know, I'm such a believer in diversifying holdings. And that's why I don't play the individual stock game. I know that for a lot of people with Robinhood in particular, uh, younger investors are bored by the whole index game, that they want to play the individual stocks and stock market and even getting involved in things like options. And this is a potential way to make money in a short window. It's also potentially a place that you can lose money. It's more speculative than traditional investing. And know that the quote-unquote stock market, the overall stock market, is due for a potential correction and potentially a bear market. But when that will happen... Who knows? That's why the core and the key for you is you don't want to borrow money, known as buying stocks on margin, at a time where things are very heavily overvalued potentially. And second, you've got to know that owning stocks is a longer-term thing, not short-term. I know there are people that are doing rapid trading, buying and selling with great frequency. If that's something you enjoy, go for it. It's just not my way of thinking or my way of doing things. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate with your questions. Kim, who do you got? Up first today is Robert from Florida. And speaking of Robinhood, he says he has a Robinhood account. And he was told today from someone that Robinhood is under SEC investigation. Robert wants to know, what do you know about that, Clark? I want to use Robinhood to buy some stock. Is it safe? Will I be able to sell my stock when I'm ready? Yes. Robinhood has grown very quickly and has engaged in some practices that are being investigated, potentially frowned upon. But what Robinhood has been doing is the nuts and bolts behind the scenes, when you buy a stock or sell a stock with Robinhood, there are questions whether Robinhood is getting you what's known as good order execution, meaning are they getting you the best price buying and selling that they could in the marketplace, or are they specifically buying and selling with third parties that they buy and sell your stocks uh, for you through, are they using companies that maybe make Robinhood more money but cost you in the value of your shares? Now, this is at the margins, and this most heavily affects people 
that are doing what I was just talking about, rapidly buying and selling, someone who is a buy and hold investor is not going to be affected in any significant way by that particular issue involving Robinhood. Robinhood is a disruptor and an innovator, and they're going to play uh, a little loose with the rules from time to time, and they're going to get smacked down for it. It's part of the disrupting force that they are in the investing community. Joel? Clark Kevin in Virginia says, I have a son who is a high school senior. Are there any career assessment tools that you can recommend for career path guidance for him? That's a good question because if you don't really know what your future is, it gets hard to, to really decide what you're going to go to college for this or that or the other. You're going to go to technical school. You're going to get a particular skill, particular area of work. So one tool that I like because it's free is from the Princeton Review. And you don't have to be going to Princeton or anything like that. But if you go to the Princeton Review, you can look for their career assessment and their search tool, look for career assessment. And you'll see that you can use the tool as one device to see where your likely path may best be. But don't go to just one because they all use different methodologies. And I think you look for cross-referencing using different tools. One that has a lot of stuff available for you is careerkey.org that has links to both free uh, evaluations of what you should be doing and those you might need to pay for, but usually like 20 bucks or something that are pretty sophisticated. There's also one called personalitylab.org, which is another that you might check out. And I'd like for you to use at least three of these uh, assessments of yourself, maybe more, till you find something that's like, hey, I never thought about that. That really does fit me. You may have that eureka moment. Or again, you could be like a lot of people and not find that thing. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life when I grow up. Kim? <laughs> uh, this is from When Mitch. will I grow up? I don't know. I don't know. You are so much more adult than most of the people I've ever met in my entire life. It's true. Ooh, that makes me sound dull. Uh, well, I mean, haven't you admitted that in the past? I've admitted I'm dull. Yeah. All right. So moving on, this is from Mitch in Florida. Mitch says, in regards to unclaimed money and finding it, have you ever heard of claimfound.com? During this time, my family could really use any amount of extra funds, but we do not want to get caught up in a scam. Yeah, claimfound is legit. They are much smaller than the long-established missingmoney.com. And the idea of these two sites is that you're able to find money that has gone unclaimed. As I recall, claimfound.com is only Florida so far, but that's not the ultimate goal, is to be more places. But missingmoney.com has a ton of states. There are some states that have not chosen to be part of this for one simple reason. They don't want you to know that they're holding money that is there for you because the state would like to hold on to it. 
but there are many reasons why money ends up going unclaimed. Could be because of uh, a loved one who's passed away. Could be an old job you were at. Any of a number of reasons. It's a great idea for you to check missingmoney.com, Florida residents only, claimfound.com, and see what's out there. Anybody wants to charge you to connect you with your money, it's not a scam, but it is unnecessary for you to pay when this information is available for free otherwise. In states that don't participate with missingmoney.com, each state operates its own office that you can check to see if there's unclaimed money hanging out there for you. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Larry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Larry. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. My wife and I are retired. We live in Kentucky. Uh, We really don't like cold weather, my wife especially. But uh, because That makes her a very, very smart woman. (laughs) <laughs> Cold weather holds no purpose in our lives unless you're right. snow skiing. Right. The problem is we have kids and grandkids here, and they hate to go away from them, and we really enjoy going to a lot of sports that are winter. But right now, because of COVID, we're not seeing our kids and grandkids anyway, and even if they have sports this winter, we're not going to go to them. So I was given some serious thought to where could we go for two, maybe three months or more for warm weather. Of course, it's a Clark Howard show, so naturally it needs to be affordable if I do it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so the key to getting warmer weather but not hot weather is to look at places that it's off-season for them, but it's still a lot warmer weather than you'd have in Kentucky and would be a reasonable drive from where you are. Right. And I think specifically of northern Florida or um, the panhandle of Florida into the beach areas potentially of Alabama because you would be, particularly if you go um, anywhere in northern Florida, it's off-off season during the winter. The daytime highs tend to be in the mid to upper 60s and very modestly lower temperatures at night. It's kind of, it's it's not hot weather. I mean, you're going to have to wear a windbreaker if you're out for a stroll on the beach or something like that. But the cost of renting a place is a tiny fraction of what it is during the peak season. And you'd be, uh, I guess, like a seven or eight hour drive from home to be able to go back and visit when you can to visit family and grandkids and that sort of thing. Right. Is that uh, three or four month rental something you can do? Oh, sure. Although I will tell you something weird about uh, if you end up renting in Florida, a lot of times because the way the law in Florida works, people who are going three or four months in the off-season will sign a seven-month lease, even if they only stay at the place three or four months. 
because you avoid a tax that you have to pay otherwise. Oh, okay. A lot of landlords are familiar with that and are used to people requesting seven-month leases. Okay. So that would be... When I, when I think quickly about where you live and what your wife would like and at the same time doing it uh, as low cost as you possibly can, doing that where you stay... Um, as far south as you can go is north of Tampa on the Gulf, where it will still be off-season. And right. on the Atlantic coast, really Daytona and north would get you the off-season prices. So I hope that helps. There's one other thing I should mention that I've been meaning to talk about and I forgot. And it's more for people relocating permanently than what you're looking to do. Um, on MarketWatch, the website MarketWatch.com, they have a thing that each of you can use and use it separately so that neither is influenced by the other, where you put in what your wants are about where you'd like to live and just the things you'd want, and then it comes up with a list of places you may not have ever thought about that it would recommend you look at, and you decide the important factors, five must-haves, five want-haves, and then it will come up with a list of areas in the United States and communities that would be great places for you two to look at. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. There's been enormous confusion about the issuance of an eviction moratorium notice by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. And you may wonder, how in the world is the CDC, a public health agency, involved in the relationship between tenants and landlords? Well, in a public health emergency like coronavirus, the CDC has authority to prevent evictions so that people don't end up in a place where they're much more likely to cause community spread in a pandemic. So that was the authority the CDC used to issue a procedure for eviction moratoriums. Now, I need to explain how this works because there's confusion by landlords and by tenants so first a huge percent of landlords are small landlords individuals or a small group that owns a very small number of properties keeping uh, aware of local rules and regulations is hard enough and then the pandemic throws curveballs so let's go back to the original eviction moratorium that was in effect because of one of the congressionally passed 
uh, stimulus laws during coronavirus, coronavirus relief measures, what it did was that if you had a federally backed mortgage on a rental property as a landlord, you were prohibited from evicting till the moratorium period ended. This is, so if a tenant wasn't paying, said they couldn't pay because they had lost their job or whatever because of coronavirus, you couldn't evict. So that expires at the end of this month. So then what happens for the rest of the year? Well, that's where the CDC eviction thing is very different. It involves potentially any tenant of any landlord even a landlord who does not have any federally backed loan. So the tenant has to certify under penalty of going to jail that they meet the requirements for the eviction moratorium. The eviction moratorium doesn't mean you don't owe your rent, doesn't mean the landlord can't charge you all the late fees they would normally charge, It doesn't mean that the landlord, when the moratorium ends, January 1st, can't proceed with an eviction. All those things remain true. The penalties, a future eviction, all that. So what you have to certify is that you meet the income requirements. For a single individual, a head of household, whatever, you have to earn less than 100 grand a year. For a married couple, less than 199000 a year makes you potentially eligible as step one. You make more than those amounts, you're out. You're not part of this. You have to be able to certify that you couldn't make your rent payment because of a substantial loss of household income, loss of hours, layoffs, or if you've had extraordinary medical expenses. You have to certify this. You also have to certify you've done everything you could to make payments but have not been able to. And there's three other grounds you have to meet. And then you simply sign and date the form and you turn it in to your landlord, keeping a copy for yourself. Now, this form is one that We have a link for you at Clark.com so that you can print out the form and know that this is something not to play games with. If you are just trying to avoid paying your rent and you've kept your job and all that, that's not okay because you've now committed perjury. Don't do that. For landlords, this is brutal because roughly half of rental properties in the United States are held by small landlords. I mean, this is really an economic consequence of coronavirus that's lose-lose. Tenants don't want to end up with the debt over their heads. Tenants don't want to face evictions. Landlords want their income from their rental properties. This is just a very tough time, and the CDC strategy is to try to prevent having massive numbers of millions of people suddenly evicted living in close quarters and shelters are living in the streets and so that's why this is there but you just don't stop paying rent you have to petition your landlord 
with the official government form to avoid paying that rent moving forward. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And whose turn is it? Clark, it's mine. And Willie in Georgia says, I've done some work with a specific app called the Handy app. And now to get my money, I have to put my bank or credit card information in and my social security number. So I'm wondering if Handy can be trusted with uh, the information that they're asking for. Yeah, so they have a legitimate business purpose to ask for your social security number because they have to report what you've earned to the feds, even though you're being paid as an independent contractor. And providing the, the information for them to pay you, what you're doing with the bank account information, is perfectly legit for them to be able to do the direct deposit. So this is totally on the up and up. Handy is a, a real app. It's the real thing. And a lot of people who are contractors who put their services on Handy have gripes about Handy, but they use it as contractors anyway. So it must be good at the very least to find customers and to find leads for future work. Kim? Adrian in California says, Hi Clark, my kids are third generation listeners and you would be so proud they want to start Ross. They they are 11, 8, and 8. He's got twins. And they've been earning money helping neighbors and extended family by doing jobs in their household and beyond. Only a couple of hundred dollars a year. I was surprised when I asked our tax guy about this and he balked big time. He said we'd have to do taxes for each kid and it would be tricky to provide records of employment. Please tell me he's wrong. Tell me this is something that we can do. And yes, sir, I know I will start them out with Fidelity Zero Index Funds. (laughs) So the accountant's right, but you can do it anyway. So as long as you have your 11-year-old and the two 8-year-olds keep records. Just It can be a simple journal where you write down a sheet of paper. I worked for the Joneses for three hours and made uh, $20 or whatever. You list by date everything you did and you have that available. You can proceed with doing the Roth for each child. However, if you do have to get into filing returns, that can be a bit of a hassle, but a kid's return is very, very easy to do. An alternative is to use the Fidelity Zero funds in a straight investment account. It won't be tax-free like a Roth, but it'll be extremely tax-favorable, and you eliminate your accountant being upset and having to deal with the possibility of dealing with income from these three kids or you being upset that you're having to do all those filings. So I would say the best compromise, do traditional custodial investment accounts with Fidelity for all three kids and do the Fidelity Zero funds for each of them. And the tax bill will be so tiny that it won't really matter in the short term. As soon as they're working a more traditional job, then they do a traditional Roth IRA. Joel? 
Clark James in Georgia says, I've never bought stock before, and I'm curious of what you think about the new platform that Cash App is offering. Is it better for me to use a traditional stockbroker, or, or will I be fine investing via an app like this? I would only be purchasing maybe like 100 bucks worth of stock every few months. So using the Cash App stock buying platform is very similar in its nature to what Robinhood has built with their app. And if you want to use the Cash App to buy stock, that's fine. Uh, You're talking about doing occasional stock purchases and using the free platform they built is A-OK. If you think you might regularly do more investing, all the discount brokers now make stock trades free. And being with one of the traditional players like Schwab or Fidelity would be another way for you to get this done. Kim? Debbie in Florida says, I just received an email offer from the gift card company known as Raise to download their new app called Slide. It offers 4% cash back on everything you use to pay. It can be used in combination with whatever other benefits from the card you choose. You could stack benefits, and I'm trying to figure out if this is a good idea. Yeah, it adds one additional step into purchasing, but using the app as a way to save money at the participating retailers is just fine. You know, every retailer is trying to come up with ways to create more loyalty from their customers and a lot of them can't afford to set up their own extensive loyalty program so using this app is a great way to be able to do that it is legit and it just means that you set up your forms of payment in the app for the retailers you'd use it at and then you get your cash back right through the slide app it is a-okay to do Luis is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Luis. How are you doing? Hi, pretty good. How about yourself? Great. Luis, uh, 22 years old. You are an ambitious young man. You already have your degree and have a job as an engineer? Yes, correct. That's fantastic. I am assuming you've got a pretty solid financial future straight in front of you. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's been my main goal. Fortunately, my dad um, has taught me how to uh, be conservative with my money and and how to save and all that. So, yeah, and I graduated without any debt uh, or anything. So, yeah, I think I'm in a good path, and I'm just trying to figure out where to go from here. Wow. Well, how can I be of service as you start your career? Okay, so I've been working since January. Uh, At the moment, I'm making about... Oh, 70k, uh, and I, I, I'm dead set on becoming a real estate investor. I know it's what I want for my future, and, and I'm and I'm just starting to learn about it, right? Uh, and I also want to get my parents into my parents want to get into it too. So I'm learning as much as possible uh, um, about it, and trying to get my toes in the water, and I'm trying to figure out how to approach this and with our current situation. So my parents have an apartment uh, that they bought down in Miami in 2011 uh, for 140K. That was pretty Uh, fantastic timing, 2011 in Miami. Yeah. 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 They got, they got pretty lucky. So uh, they, (laughs) they searched for quite a bit and then they finally got the right property. So 140K, uh, 4.88 
percent uh, for interest, and they still got ninety k to pay off on it. And right now it's worth two sixty, around two sixty, two fifty, two sixty. Wow! So uh, they've nearly doubled their original in nine years. Right. So are right. they going to stay right. in Miami, or are they following you? Where are you now in the country? So I'm in Newport, Ricky, uh, which is about an hour north of town. Sure, I've been there. Okay. So right. and. Are they yeah, following you to Newport, Ritchie, or are they, they? So, yes, that is their plan. Uh, they've gotten a little bit tired of Miami because the expenses keep growing and their income isn't very high. It isn't high at all. So uh, that, that's why I'm trying to help them. My priorities to, to kind of get them uh, on their feet. Like I said, my dad's been good with money, so it's not like they're in a desperate situation. But at the same time, you know, I, I want them to live comfortably. It's, time, it's about time they start uh looking out for themselves and and i want to help them well think uh, so, about this if they if they're following you and they're going to live uh either where you are maybe in the tampa metro area and be closer by you and they sell this property in miami they're going to walk away with probably net of closing costs and all that and commissions hundred and fifty thousand dollars more or less and that's a good nest egg for them to uh, this is the house they've been living in, this one in Miami, or is this just an investment property? This is where they've been living, yeah. So if they've been living there, the money from the gain will flow tax-free. On the other hand, if they move to follow you and they convert that to a rental property, they steadily lose the tax-free ownership and will have to pay tax on the gain on the property that already has an embedded gain of $120,000 built into it that would go from being tax-free to eventually being taxable. Plus, the property would be uh, four and a half hours away from where they'd be living approximately. My money would be on selling it and buying a new place where you are or near you. Okay. Okay, interesting. Now, that was uh, one of the main questions I had. And another one, I just want to see uh, what you would do in my shoes. I've been learning about from a coworker uh, quite a bit about uh, buying at auction, uh, foreclosures, right, uh, and getting the tax deeds and tax warrant, uh, the warranty deeds. Uh, do, you, uh, do you have any suggestions, any advice? As, yeah, as uh, you start out, it? keep it simple. Okay. Ignore, ignore all those things, and the market is really strong right now. This isn't the best time of all to be a buyer. It's a great time to be a seller. Take your time identifying uh, good neighborhoods, good properties, and buy a place with the idea of holding it for a significant period of time. This isn't a time period where you're going to have a lot of success with the whole tax lien kind of strategies uh, and you're not going to find at least for a while a ready supply of foreclosures because somebody who gets in financial trouble can generally turn around and sell a property and not end up with a foreclosure because the market has been strong so we're it you know real estate cyclical and right now we're in a hot market so i think uh being a seller is awesome for your parents being a buyer right now requires being more cautious and careful but if you buy a solid house in a good neighborhood just be patient it will pay off especially at today's low rates you're listening to the clark howard show 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. 